In order to learn some things about leadership, we've been looking at Jesus because Jesus is the greatest leader in world history. Uh, there are several things that confirm that he's the greatest leader in world history. One of them is, is that no human being has had more followers than Jesus. That means he has influenced more people uh, since the creation of the world than any other human being. No one has had a greater influence on the world for good than Jesus. There's more good things attached to the name of Jesus that have been done in the world than any other leader in human history. And then no one has been honored more than Jesus. And by all the followers that have followed him, give praise to him, uh, even this morning, no one has been honored more in this world than Jesus. And so Jesus is the greatest leader of all time. And so we can learn how to lead by looking at Jesus and how he led. <clears throat> A number of weeks ago, we learned that one of the the main foundation that made Jesus such a great leader is that he was a servant leader. And then we saw that he was a forgiving leader. He didn't hold grudges against those that he was leading when they offended him. And then we saw that Jesus was a courageous leader. And then he was a faithful leader. And this morning, I want us to look at how Jesus was a compassionate leader. We're going to start this morning with a text that's found in Matthew chapter 9 in verses 36 through 38. And I'm going to read this text to you this morning. And I want you to focus in this text upon several key words. But the word that we're focusing on this morning first is the word compassion. And here's what the text says in Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with, it says, compassion on them. Because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, one of the strongest motivations and perhaps the strongest motivation in the human heart is this word that's used here. It's describing something in our hearts that's called compassion. Compassion is a condition of the heart. The heart in Scripture is the seat of our affections. And having compassion in your heart is simply identifying with the pain and difficulties that another person is experiencing and you want them to be relieved. You yearn for them to be relieved of that pain or that suffering that they're experiencing in their heart. That's compassion. The word compassion actually comes from a, uh, a word that means to have the bowels yearn. Because the Jews saw the bowels as the seat of affection. It means literally to feel sympathy or pity. When you look at that definition of compassion to, to have the bowels yearn, have you ever felt someone's pain so deeply in your heart that it affected your gut? <laughs> Absolutely. It happens to me all the time now where I feel somebody else's pain so deeply that it affects my, my stomach. 
Well, in this passage of Scripture, in this particular story, Jesus felt this way for a multitude of people. He saw this huge multitude of people that were coming out to hear him and, and hear uh, what he had to say and, and receive healing, and he felt compassion for this multitude. And in this story, the reasons that are given are interesting. It says, first of all, if you'll look at the text, that they fainted, it says. Now, the, the word for fainted means they were experiencing extreme sorrow and distress to the point that they actually didn't care about themselves. Have you ever been in a place like that emotionally? Where you were feeling so, so much pain, so much sorrow in your heart that you actually didn't care for yourself? Or you didn't care to take care of yourself? In other words, fainted means they were hopeless. Now, what Jesus saw in the day that he lived was he saw a people that was burdened with the rites of religion and the doctrines of a group that was called the Pharisees and they were just sinking down is what he saw under their ignorance and sinking down under the weight of their traditions they were fainting and then Jesus had compassion for them because he says they were scattered abroad in other words, what does it mean to be scattered abroad? It means they were outcasts. They were disenfranchised people. They were neglected and they were rejected group of people. Perhaps even by their families in this multitude were these folks that were disenfranchised. But certainly this group of people was disenfranchised by the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers of their day. And as a result, they felt no hope for their own souls. They were unclean in their own minds with no hope of being clean. Have you ever been there? And so Jesus had compassion because they fainted, and Jesus had compassion because they were scattered abroad. And then it says in this text that Jesus had compassion because they had no shepherd. You know... If you lived in Israel when this particular story happened, there was nothing more vulnerable than a sheep lost in the wilderness of Israel. There was all kinds of wild animals. There was all kinds of wild people. And if they saw a sheep alone in the wilderness, there was a minute chance that that particular sheep was going to survive. And so Jesus says they were sheep without a shepherd. You know, a sheep in the wilderness that was fainting would be a sheep that was so weak from the lack of food and the lack of water that it would become easy prey for any animal of prey that wanted to take it. What these folks were vulnerable to was all of the false teachers and false prophets that they were surrounded by in their day people that weren't telling them the truth, but people that were lying to them. And so Jesus saw this multitude of people. They were fainting, they were scattered abroad, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what he felt for them as a result of what he saw was he felt 
compassion. And as a result, the Bible tells us that his compassion moved him to act. You see, compassion is a deep and powerful motivation that moves us to action. When you have compassion for someone, genuine compassion, it's going to move you to act in some way and, and try to relieve the pain, the discomfort, whatever you see in the other person. Every great uh, benevolent cause always begins with an individual that is moved by compassion. Compassion is empathy with feet. That's what compassion is, empathy with feet. There's all kinds of other illustrations in Scripture. We can begin with this one as far as the compassion of Jesus. And, and since he's the greatest leader who ever lived, what we find out about Jesus if we move through some of the Scriptures is that Jesus had compassion for those who did not have a faithful shepherd to guide him. He felt compassion for those folks, as we just saw. In another story, we find that Jesus had compassion for those who were sick. Many times in the scriptures, it says that as Jesus was going from place to place, he would be moved with compassion and he would heal those who were sick. Jesus had compassion for those who were hungry and tired. You remember the story where he fed the 5,000 on one occasion and then he fed the 4,000 on another occasion? His, his desire to feed them was, it says he was moved with compassion. Jesus had compassion for those who were not in their right mind. Jesus went around and he would discover these folks that were demonized or demon-oppressed to such an extent that they weren't in their right mind. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion for those who were not in their right mind and he, and he delivered them. Jesus had compassion for those who were grieving their loss. There's a number of stories in the scripture where Jesus was passing through somewhere and all of a sudden he saw a funeral procession and he would heal by raising, raising the dead. He would actually heal the, the person who was, who was grieving of their grief by raising the dead because the Bible says he had compassion. Jesus had compassion, it says, for the foreigner. In other words, not just the outcast in Israel, but the foreigner from another nation who lived in Israel. Jesus, on various occasions, demonstrated compassion for those folks as well. He had compassion for the foreigner. Jesus even had compassion for his enemies. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, Jesus was looking over the city of Jerusalem, a city that was made up of people that would become hostile to him, uh, a, a city that was made up of people that would ultimately reject him as their Messiah and Savior. And here's what Jesus said about these folks that had declared themselves to be his enemies. He said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, 
You shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so he uses this word picture. He compares himself to a hen. He compares his enemies to his chicks that he wants to gather under the shelter of his wings. And his motivation for doing that is compassion. You know, having compassion can be very difficult when someone has offended you or harmed you. Or if they've offended or harmed someone that you love. But this is exactly what we see in Jesus. At a time when he knew that the people of Jerusalem were going to hurt him and would eventually hurt his disciples that he loved, Jesus had compassion for them. Jesus not only had compassion for his enemies, but Jesus had compassion for all of mankind. You know, it's very natural for a father or a mother to have compassion for their children, no matter what their children do wrong. Now, the children may not realize that at the time that the wrong occurs, because they may see a reaction in their parent and think, oh, my parent is mad at me, or my parent doesn't like me. But the truth is, in all parents, it's very natural in their hearts for them to have compassion for their children, even when their children mess up, even when their children make mistakes, even when their children fail. Why is this? Well, here's the reason why. When reproduction occurs, there's a natural, powerful compassion for our offspring. Now, if you're here this today and you've never had offspring, I want you to know you cannot relate to what I'm saying. But if you have had offspring, you understand exactly what I'm saying. I mean, from the moment that that child is born, there is a natural compassion that you have for that child. Mothers have it even before the child is born. When they're carrying that child in their womb, they have a natural compassion for that child in their womb because of reproduction. You know, when no one else sees or knows a child pain, it's like a parent can sense it and have compassion for them when no one else really knows what's going on or sees it. And as a result, a parent with compassion, what do you want to do with that pain? You want to relieve it in some way. You want to try to help in some way to ease that pain. Now, one of the things that we all need to understand about Jesus, and Jesus is God, is that this is the way that God feels for all of us. Because all of us are his offspring. The Bible says in Acts 17, 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. We saw in the previous story where Jesus compared himself to a hen and all the people as his chicks. Jesus has compassion for all of mankind because all of us are his 
offspring created in his image. The psalmist said this about the Lord. He said it in Psalm 145.8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. And as a result, it says he is slow to anger and great in mercy. Jesus is the greatest leader who ever lived because he was and is a compassionate leader. How about you? Those people who know you best, would they say about you, you know, my father, he's a great leader because he is a compassionate man. Would they say about you as a mother? Perhaps you lead other employees at work. Would they describe you as a compassionate leader at work? Maybe you're a leader in an organization of some kind, and there's other people that you interact with all the time. Do they sense from you this thing called compassion that was in the heart and life of Jesus? You know, we're all leaders to our friends. Would your friends describe you as a compassionate person? A person who feels their pain, their hurt, a person who wants to relieve them of that pain and of that hurt. Do they know you in that way? Well, if you would say no to that, or if you would say, you know, maybe a little bit, then God's got some good news for you. You can become a compassionate person. You can become a compassionate leader like Jesus. Well, how does that happen? Well, the first thing that has to happen to anybody to be changed into the image of God, because God is compassionate, he's full of compassion, is that you've got to be saved. You've got to be saved. You say, well, what does being saved mean? Well, it means this. You as a human being were born in the image of God, but also you were born in the image of a fallen descendant named Adam. And there's something about you that defiles you. And what defiles you is the nature of sin within your being. And every human being that's ever been born has been born with that nature of sin. These children that we saw this morning up here, they're beautiful children, but I want you to know that each one of them is a sinner. And simply what that means is, is their nature is to sin. I asked one of the parents this morning, I said, well, that child is uh, probably starting to get active, being nine months old. And he said, yeah, that child's starting to get active. I said, well, when you put the child down yet, has the child started to just crawl away from you as fast as possible? And they said, well, not yet. I said, well, just wait. That's what I thought in my mind, just wait. In some form or fashion, that sinful nature in that child, that selfish nature, that nature to rebel against authority, it's going to come out. And when it does, for some parents, it can be quite shocking the first time that it happens. But each one of us is born with that fallen nature, a nature to rebel against authority, a nature to rebel against God. 
In fact, that nature is a nature in which we want to rule our own lives. We want to go our own way. We want to be our own boss. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We want to satisfy our own desires in the way that we want to satisfy them. Irregardless of what other people think, irregardless of how it hurts other people. Well, I want you to know, you, if you're going to become a compassionate person like God, you need to be saved from that sinful nature. You say, well, how do you get saved from that sinful nature? Well, that sinful nature has separated you from God. But God, because he's full of compassion and mercy, God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And the penalty for your sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus came, the God-man, and he lived a perfect life. And after about 33 years of his life, he offered himself as a sacrifice for the sin of mankind so that your sin and my sin could be nailed to a cross so that you and I could be forgiven completely of our sin and our sinful nature. And so God did that for us through his son, Jesus Christ, because he's full of compassion, slow to anger, full of mercy, toward us. And so God sent his son Jesus to do that. And in order for you to be saved from your sin, you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've got to repent for being a rebel against God, and you've got to turn to God and then receive by faith forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. You know what God's going to do when you do that? He's going to send his spirit to live in your heart. Just as Jesus rose from the dead after he died as a testament that he is the God-man, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, he is going to send his spirit to dwell in you, and you're going to become a new creation in Christ, and you're going to become partakers of his divine nature, and you're going to experience in your soul the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know it's the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection power that saves sinners from being sinners. And that's the first thing that has to happen to you if you're going to become a compassionate leader like Jesus. You need to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Now after you receive Jesus and his resurrection power, you become a new creation in Christ the old man that you were passes away, and you become a new man in Christ. You know, salvation itself is, a, is a something that happens at a moment in time. Uh, Jesus called it being born again. He compared it to birth because it happens at a moment in time. But I want you to understand that even though you're saved in that moment of time, that you need to grow as a Christian. You need to grow in compassion. It's like the seeds of compassion are now in your heart and you began to have that experience, but God wants you to experience compassion more and more in your life. You know what God's going to do to accomplish that in your life? God's going to let you experience trials. You hear it all the time, why do good people suffer? Well, I would say this, why do godly people suffer? Now, all people suffer. I want you to know storms happen, and it doesn't matter whether you're a good person or an or a evil person, storms happen. 
But I want you to know, for those who have received Jesus as their personal Savior, every trial that you experience in your life is, is God's intention to grow compassion in you. He works through trials to accomplish that and suffering. In James chapter 1, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, God uses trials in our life to change us into the image and likeness of Jesus, to help us grow up, to help us mature in things like compassion. So as we suffer, we grow in compassion for those who are suffering like we suffered. But another thing that happens when you receive Jesus is that you began to have a desire in your heart because of your new nature. You began to have a desire in your heart to minister to other people that are suffering. And here's the way that it works. The more you invest in people that are suffering, the more you grow in compassion. It just works that way. So it's not only your own trials that helps you grow up spiritually into, into the image of Jesus. It's the trials that you began to walk through in your life with other people that causes you to grow in compassion. So you got to be saved, and then you got to go through suffering in order to grow as compassion. And then you've got to see, seeing. If you're going to grow in compassion, you got to see. What do you have to see? Well, you have to see the value of people if you're going to grow in compassion. You know, uh, when I was growing up, before I was saved, I thought there were some people that had value and a lot of people that didn't have any value whatsoever. And I didn't consider a person to be valuable just because they were a human being. I based their value upon what they could do for me. I based their value on what I, all the good things that I saw them doing for other people. But otherwise, I just thought, why in the world was that person ever born? You know, I don't see them as a value to anybody. One of the things that God sees that we need to see if we're going to have compassion for people is the intrinsic value of every human being. You say, where does that intrinsic value come from? Well, it comes from the same place that you and I get it. Our value ultimately comes from being created in the image of God. And every single human being, no matter where they're from, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter what gender they are, every single human being, according to the scripture, is born in the image of God. And that gives every single person that's ever been born intrinsic value. You know, since we're all God's offspring, you know what that means? That means everyone is my kin. That means everyone is my kin. That means Arnolfo is my brother. That means Jeremy is my brother. That means all of you are my brothers and my sisters because we're all God's offspring. I want you to know because you're created in the image of God, we are all kin to one another. And that gives every person inherent value. You know, we can have enemies to our ideology and our beliefs, our values. People may be opposed to what we believe, the ideals that we have and the, and the values that we have. But I want you to know, even though they may be enemies to our beliefs and our values, 
Even our enemies are our brothers, and we should treat them like our brothers. You know, so many Christians today, when they look at other people, they see this world, and you can see it on Facebook posts. You know, when you, if I read your Facebook post, what would I come away with? You know, for many people, as they're posting things on social media, what I come away with is it's us against them. I want you to know something, folks. It's not us against them. It's us saving our brothers because that's who they are. And your Facebook post and your social media post should reflect that. Whether they agree with your ideology or beliefs or political beliefs, I want you to know they are your brothers. It's not you against them. It's us saving our brothers if you believe in the intrinsic value of every human being. And you should have compassion for them even when they're wrong. You got to see life, you got to see people from God's perspective. And when you see the value, of every human being, you will grow in compassion. And also, you've got to see the lost condition of mankind. Hey, if you're a brother in the Lord, if you're a Christian, then I want you to know you've got something they don't. And as a result of that, you need to have compassion. Because of the fall of mankind, those who are lost, they're lost sheep without a shepherd. And then if you want to grow in compassion... Not only do you have to be saved, not only do you have to suffer, not only do you have to see, but you've got to surround. You've got to surround yourself with compassionate people whose purpose is to follow Jesus. As, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Folks, listen to me. You're going to become like the people that you surround yourself with. And I want you to know we're not perfect people as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're far from it. We have so much room for growth in our lives to become like Jesus. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all commit sins. But I want you to know, the people I want to hang around with the most are people that are compassionate people who want to relieve the pain and discomfort that other people are experiencing in their lives. And if you want to become that way, you've got to surround yourself with those kind of people. You've got to get connected, as Brandon shared this morning. You can't show up to church once a week and be surrounding yourself with with compassionate people. No, you've got to share life with them. You got to live life with them. You got to bleed with them. You got to hurt with them. You got to hurt with them for others. You got to go through life with them. And I want you to know the church of Jesus Christ was designed to do that for the body of Christ so that we could surround ourselves with others who are compassionate people. You know, uh, when it comes to discipleship, the motivation I have for discipling you and for discipling those that I share life with each week, the motivation, the primary motivation is the compassion that I have for them. In fact, let me say this. It's interesting that in this passage of Scripture, as we close this this morning, that Jesus saw the multitudes and he had compassion because they, they were fainted, they were fainting, they were, they, were, uh, they were disconnected, you know, disenfranchised people. They were uh, cast out, you know. And they were sheep without a shepherd. And it's interesting to him, to me, that it describes Jesus that way. And then in that passage of Scripture, it goes on to say, 
Here was Jesus' action. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send forth laborers into his harvest. Do you see the connection in the passage? Here was Jesus, a compassionate harvester. And he looked out at the multitudes of people. And as a human being, he knew there's no way that I myself can go out and reach more people. I need these disciples. I need laborers to go forth into the harvest. You know what the key is to being a disciple maker? It's being a compassionate person. People who are compassionate followers of Jesus are going to invest their lives in the lives of others because they have compassion. Pray with me this morning if you would. Do you need to receive Jesus this morning? For whosoever calls upon the name of Jesus, calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. If you're ready to repent of your sin, repent of your rebellion against God and receive Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, just call out to him right now and ask him to save you. Give your life to him and then take the next step, which is to follow the Lord Jesus in water baptism as an outward symbol of your inward faith. And if you would like to do that this morning, receive Jesus and follow him in baptism, then we certainly want to help you do that. And what you can do here in just a moment as we enter into this prayer time is that you can just get up from where you're seated and you can come down here to the front and uh, I'll have someone talk with you about your faith and about baptism. And, uh, and then we'll proceed with that baptism. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do that during this prayer time. But we're also going to pray for some other needs that are here this morning. And I know there's many needs here this morning. Some of them are physical infirmities that our loved ones have. Some of them are, are spiritual things that... Uh, need to be overcome in our own lives. Some, some of them are just spiritual things that others need to overcome that we're concerned about. And we want to pray for them. So in just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer for these needs as well, whatever the need is. And you can receive prayer this morning if you want it. And I assure you that our people will compassionately come to pray for you because that's who they are. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share your word this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your great compassion that you have for each one of us as your offspring. But, Lord, you want us to be adopted into your kingdom. You want us to receive the rights of children. And I pray, God, that you would draw us all unto yourself by your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If you have a need for prayer this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to receive prayer. Just come on forward if you would. You can come to my right. You can come to my left. And uh, then people.